Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. What a blessing this morning to be able to be reminded of God's great grace. And uh, we are also today just uh, ties in so beautifully with a message from Romans chapter 3. And let me ask you this. We're looking at God's free gift today. Uh, what constitutes a good gift? It, it's free. All right. You didn't have to pay for it. I, that's a guy who obviously does a budget. All right. Good. What constitutes a good gift? Is it the wrapping on the outside? The thoughtfulness is what someone said. Is it the cost of the gift? Does it, does it matter who gave it to you? Oftentimes it does. All right. So uh, oftentimes my wife, uh, I will, I'll be honest, my wife, uh, she knows one of my weaknesses is wrapping. Any other men can sympathize with that? You know, I look at the, the process of wrapping and I think, why do you go through all that trouble for something they're going to go rip and it's done and it's over with? It's like I spend 20 minutes ripping that apart for you to, or to put it together so you can rip it apart. So a lot of times the gifts that she receives are in Walmart bags or the place or wherever I bought it. Can any other women have to go through that, that process? All right. I, one. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jim. We're not alone in that. All right. So the rest of you men are much further ahead than I am, I'll admit. So today we're going to play a little bit of a game here before we get into the message. I need three volunteers who are willing to come to the platform and speak from the platform. That will limit, but I will tell you, everyone will receive a gift today. All right, so may I have three volunteers? Brother Dick, come on up. Deanna, come on up. And Daly, you want to come up? All right, you got to talk. Are you all right with that? Dad, you all right with that? All right, come on up. I got our three volunteers. Let's give them a hand as they come up. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to give away three gifts, and you can see them here, uh, hopefully from this direction. I don't know if y'all can see that. Uh, I don't know if there's a way to get it on the screen or not. Y'all come right up. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is allow them to select any of the three, and we're going to start with the youngest and go to the oldest, all right? Uh, and so daily, you get to pick whatever one you want. You can't pick it up. You, can, you just have to choose which one you want, all right? So just, just pick which one you want to open, but don't open it yet. Middle one. The middle one. All right. Grab the middle one. All right. But don't, don't do anything with it till I tell you. All right. Deanna, you want that one. All right. Brother Dick. No, no choice. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> I'll take the big one. All right. Good. Now, in this, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. Not, well, a couple of things. I did not pay them. They, they're not paid uh, actors or anything like that. We're just having some fun today as we illustrate this point. And they could totally ruin my illustration, I might add. And so, so I'm going to ask you a few gifts. I've got a, a microphone, number white, uh, or white, not number white. All right. So why did you select this gift? 
Because there's only one left. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty obvious. Would you have chosen this gift? No, I'd have took the small one. Okay, good. Uh, now, what do you think the value is of the contents of this gift? The value of it? Yeah. I'll say $20. Okay, all right, thank you. All right, so Daly, why did you choose this gift? Because the mill is the best one. The bow is the best one, all right. And so what do you think the value is, judging by what you see on the outside of what's inside? have no clue. Give us a guess. If you were to say $100,000 or 20 bucks, what do you think? Um, in, in between negative infinity and infinity. You're officially disqualified. I need a Newton off teasing. <laughs> all right, why did you select your gift? The plane or the battery, you never know what's in there. Okay, all right. So what do you think the value is inside this gift? Probably $15, $20. Okay, great. All right, so we're going to let them open these. We're going to start with Brother Dick first since he was the last to receive, and then we'll go to uh, Daly. You'll be the last to open. All right, Brother Dick, go ahead and open yours up. We're all full of anticipation here. It's the biggest box. He says it came from Lowe's. Actually, the box came from Lowe's. All right, so it's a pretty good-sized box. So what's in it? I don't know. Oh, Brenda's favorite. Mounds. Mounds. All right. Well, let's give him a hand. All right. We're going to go to Daly. Go ahead and open yours up. It's the most beautiful box. And he got a package of Kit Kats. All right. Now... You had the plainest box. Go ahead and open it up, and let's see what's in there. It's an Amazon box, yeah. But that doesn't mean that's what's in it. Nothing. Nothing. Check the box again. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> it's a gift card to Dairy Queen. All right, I'm like, no, I got, I know I had to get it in there somewhere. Someone stole that money. All right, let's give him my hand. All right. Now the whole purpose of this exercise is a, is a couple of fold. First off, sometimes we look at a gift and we look at the outside and we say, that's the most beautiful gift. It's going to be, it's going to be what I want. Or sometimes we say, that's the biggest gift and that's what I want. And sometimes the reality is, we don't know what's in there, but there's some reasons that we, we choose it are typically based upon what we see on the outside. Now, for example, the value of one of the most uh, important gifts that I've ever received was my mother's Bible. Now, that was not an expensive gift. It cost my mother nothing because it was a gift to her, but she gifted it to me before she passed away. And, and as I go back to that Bible, I, it is a treasure for me because of who gave it. The value was determined by who gave it. Listen, when we look at these gifts and we see the beautiful box or maybe the large box or maybe they're just the humble box and we look at some of these things and we think, listen, my decision is based upon what's the outside. But I remind you about Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 2. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. Christ was an ordinary package. He wasn't like his, his earthly body was some sort of a superhero. It, instead, the Lord cloaked him uh, in this ordinary body. And John 1.11 says, He came into His own and His own received Him. Not many people even rejected Jesus Christ. They took one look at the outside of this incredible gift and they rejected it. 
You see, although the thought of sin, although the thought of humbling yourself, although the thought of, uh, of receiving help from someone else can seem like an ugly gift on the outside, it is the gift that Christ offers to us. And if you accept it, it's a beautiful thing. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You see, as we come to Romans, we have just seen a terrible verdict that has been passed down in, in Romans chapter 3. And it comes to this, very, uh, this, this place where all have been uh, condemned as guilty. And he says in verse 20, where we left off last week, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And he leaves us there, and, and it's like hanging over our heads this verdict that, listen, we are guilty, there is nothing good in us, and, and so as a result, it, it, it leaves you with a sense of foreboding and dread. But, but then enters our text for today, and look at just the first two words in Romans 3.21, and he says this, but now. That is beautiful. That is incredible. That is the greatest two words, I think, that, that the Bible uh, has for us is this simple conjunction, a, a connection of an old thought with a new thought, a connection that's going to take us from one point of despair to a place of hope. And that's where we want to look today. Let's read this, the text together. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. He says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Hallelujah being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be the just and the justifier of Him which believe in Jesus. Isn't that good? Amen. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Let's stop and pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this incredible passage, Lord, this beautiful picture of your glorious gift, a gift that you offer to anyone who will believe. What a powerful, powerful gift. Not one that we look at and we think, I've got to have this, but one that we desperately need. And so if there's here those that don't know you as their Savior today, before they leave this place, that they would put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We love you, Lord. Now, please, please use this time for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes we, we look at, I've been in some beautiful places and seen some incredible things, and, and especially some of the doors of places. I remember being in uh, the t state capitol in Texas, and some of the doors that are there are just incredibly ornate and beautiful and uh, handcrafted and hand-carved. But sometimes, but those, hint, those uh, doors, though they're beautiful, they still swing on hinges. 
hinges that are often sealed uh, behind the door. You don't see them. And, and you know, some of the greatest Bible truths of all the ages are, are, are beautiful, but they still swing on something simple, like the two words, but now. Those words are, were introduced, introduced to us, God's free gift, and it's a gift that it brings hope to in the darkest situations. And imagine standing before a great magistrate and he condemns you, but then there's those words, but now. Man, what an incredible thing. And, and it is a gift that brings hope to us. It's a gift that helps us to be able to see, listen, God is still God. Listen, the word but has, has been used very dramatically in the Scriptures. Matter of fact, in, in Genesis 6-8, it says uh, when, when he condemns all the world and its sinfulness, he says this in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that good? Noah found grace. In 2 Chronicles 26-16, but when he was strong, he lifted up his heart to... Uh, lifted up, uh, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord. That's a bad thing. Throughout the Bible, we find this word but, and it almost always introduces a new idea and usually stands in contrast to what has previously been said. For example, in Romans 6.23 is the greatest example of this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's exactly the transition that Romans 3.21 makes here. Though you're condemned and though you are sentenced to death, here is the, here is the, the good thing is that the justification that the prophets in the Old Testament uh, 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 apostles had all talked about and preached and, and proclaimed, he goes back and he says, just like they had been preaching it, it was manifested unto us. So though Paul has been painting a black picture, we with this simple word, have a glimmer of hope. And so let us see how this gift is revealed here. In verse 21, he begins just simply, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This glorious gift of God is revealed to the sinner, and the gift had always been there. It's not something that was brand new, but it was hidden uh, from their eyes oftentimes. But now it stands center stage for all to behold this tremendous gift of God. And it's what we commonly call uh, you know, our salvation. It's very simple. We understand it. Uh, matter of fact, it's so simple that even Christ said we must have the faith as a child in order to receive it. Uh, and and our, our biggest problem with salvation is we like to complicate it and convolute it. But this is what God says in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's this gift that Jesus Christ revealed by His coming. It is the same hope that was pictured in the Old Testament. And Paul makes this connection that is not new, but it's something that had been foretold that has already been revealed in the shadows. They just had to see it. So let's look back through some Scripture together, and we're going to see how it was revealed in Scripture. Because there's a couple of things we must remember. Uh, is But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. God cannot lower His standards. If He's going to save us from the tragedy of sin, it must be in a way that will not violate His righteous demands. And so the Old Testament law... If we go back in the Old Testament, we're going to find that there is both a moral law and a ceremonial law. The moral law was designed to uncover sin and reveal what's already in sin. Remember verse number 20, what we read just as we got started. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So it reveals this moral flaw in all of us. 
Matter of fact, he talks about the totality of that in Romans 5.12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so the death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so we see that uh, as God reveals that in the Old Testament, that we all come morally short of God's perfection. So then God also offers a ceremonial law. And this ceremonial law was designed to provide a temporary covering for the sinner. And so God's plan of salvation given in the gospel upholds the righteousness of God as revealed in the moral law, but it also, what it does is provides a satisfactory method of cleansing us from our sin. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. That was a picture of things to come. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Jesus Christ is that fulfillment of those ceremonies. And so when Jesus was manifested, when He was revealed, it was the completion of all that God had started in the Old Testament. And so now, as Paul was, uh, uh, was laying this out for the Romans, what he's saying, listen, this is now fulfilled in your sight through Jesus Christ. All the, the, the many offerings, all the, uh, the, uh, the ceremonial law, all that we went through, listen, that was a picture of what Christ would complete. And so we see this revealed in the Old Testament. A couple of scriptures for you you can reflect on because uh, centuries before Christ ever came, uh, they, uh, God would reveal to the Jewish people that there would be a final sacrifice. And let me just remind you, that's why we don't sacrifice uh, uh, bulls and goats today because Jesus Christ did that for us. His sacrifice was once and for all as Hebrews mentions. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we don't uh, recognize it as His literal body or His literal blood because that was given at Calvary once and for all. Psalms 22, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This messianic psalm, if you will, begins to recount with us, uh, for us, centuries before Christ came, some of the sufferings He would endure. Why art thou so, uh, so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Verse 18, uh, again, it, uh, gives a little bit of prophecy about what Christ would endure. They part my garments among them and cast my lots upon my vesture. Isaiah 53 also comes to mind, reminding us of the great substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. And he says in Isaiah 53, again, centuries before Christ came, verses 10 and 11, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. It was that completion of this ceremonial law. His, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He is that completion of what the prophets had talked about in the Old Testament. You see, when he comes to verse number 21, we're saying, listen, we know that we're condemned according to the law, but also in the law, it tells of one that would be our justifier, one that would complete this process in the Old Testament, and his name is Jesus Christ, and it reveals him in this passage. So God's gift was not a new idea, but the plan of God throughout the centuries. Even before the fall of man, even before the creation of this earth, God knew what it, uh, that, that there would be only one suitable sacrifice to pay sin's debt, and that's Jesus Christ. And so we see this in Scripture. We also see, also see it is suitable for us and our needs today. And verse number 23, or 22, excuse me. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Paul's already laid out that our case is hopeless, and, and so then if we're to be saved, it must be uh, uh, in a way that suits our lost condition. And so we can't save ourselves, so God was willing to save us by giving to us a perfect righteousness, even the righteousness of Christ. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with this in just a moment, but let's look very briefly at 2 Corinthians 5.21, and we see this, uh, uh, this, uh, His righteousness being made our righteousness. He says, For He made Him to be sin for us. So He took our sin upon Him, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so what Jesus Christ then says, even the righteousness of God, verse 22, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, and then you receive the righteousness of Christ. So though I am a sinner, though by nature I am not good, because of Jesus Christ, I'm righteous. That's a powerful thing. And, and one of the things about false religions, it will show you that no matter how differing false religions will be, there is one major tenet that's always uh, in common in false religions, and that is salvation must be earned. So false religions always will tell you, you have to do this in order to earn God's favor. You have to do this in order to uh, have any kind of hope of heaven. But listen, they claim that there is something you must do in order to merit the favor of God. Well, that would negate the, the, even the most base definition of the word grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And so if I had to earn God's favor, then it's no longer grace. No longer is salvation by grace, then it is all by my works. And so as Paul was laying this out here, he says, listen, you have trusted in your ceremonies, you have trusted in your rites and rituals, you have trusted in your own goodness, but all of these things will, will fail you. The one thing you need is faith in Jesus Christ. He alone is the one that can bring righteousness. So the gospel of Christ is alone in proclaiming the concept of salvation by faith alone. If you add anything to salvation besides faith, you no longer have salvation. Listen to what Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. Let's see that, read that again. For by grace are you saved through faith. And then look at this next clause. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And then he goes on in verse number 10, and he says, For we, we that have accepted this, we who were dead but now are alive, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. In other words, in the gospel, works do not uh, result in salvation, they result from salvation. Amen. You see, verse 23, let's look here. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so he brings us back to this place that the, the, cross, the ground is level. When we come to the cross, there's, there's no one that's better, there's no one that's worse. We're all the same in the same desperate need of a Savior. And verse number 23 says, for all have sinned. I, listen, I'm not better than Adolf Hitler. I'm not better than Stalin. I'm not better than anybody in this room. You see, when I came to Jesus Christ, I must, have, I must admit for myself, I am a sinner. I have violated God's, uh, God's law. and I have failed Him. And thus, I cannot save myself. I can never be good enough to justify myself. And so I need the justification of Christ. In verse number 23, he says, listen, we are all equally condemned under this standard. Why? Because look at this in verse 23. We've come short of the glory 
of God. You see, it's not that I, 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 don't, I haven't done things in my life that are better or worse, humanly speaking, than Adolf Hitler. Don't, I've never had a concentration camp. I've never killed anybody. Okay, I'm not that bad in human standards. But I'm, see, I'm still a sinner. I've still violated God's very holy law. I have fallen short of what God's standards are. Now, I may be better than some people out there. I, I'm not on death row. I've never killed anybody. I've never, uh, never done any of those really gross, egregious sins. But listen, I am still a sinner. I am still falling short. And so I still come to the same place saying, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm still in the same place. Listen, we look at some people and we look at their lives and they fall far short. Amen? Well, they fell shorter than I did, preacher. <laughs> but then there's some maybe that have a good life. They've lived good. And we look at them and we, we think, man, they've, they've given to charities and they've helped the poor and, and they have uh, helped out their neighbor and they've been kind and they've never said anything evil or bad about anyone else and, and they've got a great disposition everywhere they go. And we look at this and we say, well, listen, if anybody's got a chance, they have a chance. But you see, we, we realize that our salvation is not based upon me. So he reveals this to us in a very clear way. But I want to just bounce off of that and continue in this idea that righteousness is, is for us. God's righteousness is for us. Verse 24, he goes on. And I'm going to just play off of that thought in just a moment. Verse 24, he says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. We'll finish that thought in a moment. God is able just not only to be just, but to be the justifier of those that put their faith in Jesus Christ. So God has reached down to the depths of fallen man and He has in no way compromised His, low, uh, his holiness. He has no ways and in, in compromised His justice or His righteousness because uh, this plan of God still recognizes two things. One, the ruined condition of man. We just kind of went over that, but there's a few words that I, I want to just point out in this text real quick. And as we look at that, there's, there's the word justified freely and grace in your Bible. In verse number 24, he says, being justified freely by His grace. God's plan doesn't turn a blind eye to our lost condition, but instead it takes it fully into account. And so justification here is a legal term, and it's a formal acquittal from, uh, uh, from guilt by God as the judge. And so the pronouncement of the believing sinners as righteous in His sight this verb is then uh, the, in the present continuous sense and thus indicates a con constant process of justification for those who believe. But what is the difference then in forgiven and justified? Oh, so I'm going to kind of try to illustrate this for you this morning. Uh, if you have a, a heavy debt, let, let's say that you have $100,000 uh, in debt. And, and you know that debt is weighing on you. And matter of fact, you lost your job, so you can't repay the debt. And, and so the company that, you, uh, that you're indebted to, you contact them and say, listen, I, I lost my job. My, I, I, we've, we're going through a sickness in our family, and I just I can't pay this debt anymore. And so uh, you know, I'm, I ask you, would you forgive this debt? Well, forgiveness would be when they would cancel the sum that you owe them. You're no longer liable for the account, but you would still carry a guilt for that transaction. So you're forgiven, but you feel guilty because you weren't able to meet the obligation. 
Now, on the other hand, in, if the legal department of the company were to call you and to say, listen, we have to have payments, you owe $100,000, and if you don't pay, then we're going to seek justice. In other words, we're going to take you to court. And suppose that while you're waiting for trial, the unpaid, uh, for the unpaid account, the, 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 the owner of the company came to you and said, listen, I know you're going through a difficult time. Let's tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, because I know you and I know your situation, I'm going to pay your uh, your, your debt. And so then when you come to court, your debt has been paid and the, the, the judge asks you, are you guilty or not guilty? You'll be able to look at the judge and say, I'm not guilty. I owe no debt. The owner, the owner paid it for me. See, that's the idea of justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never racked up that debt if you're to be forgiven, you must plead guilty and plead for mercy. If you're justified, we must not, uh, we, we plead not guilty and there is no case against us. Now listen, forgiveness and justification both are at work in our salvation. The Lord has fully discharged all of our obligations. There's no legal ground for any more charges to be brought against us. When I stand before Him you know, on that day, He's not going to recount all of my sins because the Bible says in Psalms 103, He cast them as far as the east is from the west. You see, we are justified freely. Man, what a beautiful thing. This is the gift, that far better than a, a gift from Lowe's, amen? The gift of God is complete and total justification for our sins. That's what He offers us. There's no beautiful, more beautiful gift. There's nothing sweeter or greater. And this is exactly what he offers for you. In verse number 24, he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We don't deserve it. You see, we are justified freely. He doesn't charge us for it. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It's getting something we don't deserve. All we deserve from God is His eternal punishment for our sins and for our rebellion. But instead, He offers us salvation through His Son. And the cost was infinite. His, his death of Christ at the, on Calvary. It's amazing to me to consider the great grace of our Lord. And what's even more amazing is that so many people will reject the wonderful grace of Jesus. We sang that today, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all our sin. You know, the incredible thing is he doesn't say, listen, you can be justified freely as long as you didn't. No, instead, it is offered to all. And God offers it this morning. Notice here, though, he goes on. He says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This word here for redemption suggests more than just being purchased out of a slave market. It means to be set free. It's one thing to be purchased, but it's something else for that purchaser then to release us, to set us free. And so this is the idea that, listen, we are justified and then we're set free to live in Jesus Christ. In verse number 25, he then goes on and he elaborates a little bit more. Whom, uh, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith 
faith in His blood. Now, this word propitiation uh, in regular use means simply to appease. Okay, so we would make happy, if you will. But the biblical usage uh, means to atone by sacrifice. And so God's holiness has been so fully satisfied that He can look at you in favor. He doesn't look upon me and, and say, listen, John, you have sinned here and here and here, and I'm just so disappointed. No, instead, uh, because of the propitiation of Christ, now that, that demand has been paid, and, and I can stand in His presence unashamed. You see, God's holiness has been so fully uh, satisfied by His plan that when we put our faith in Him, so that we can stand before Him unashamed. 1 John chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. He says this, He that believeth on the Son of God hath, witness, hath the witness in himself, and he that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave us his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. You see, it's only through Christ that we can receive this. God can offer redemption through faith and be propitiated simply because of the shedding of Christ's blood. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It costs God His eternal, uh, His only begotten, beloved Son. And it costs the Lord Jesus a death of shame and great agony on the cross. 1 Peter reminds us this, 1 Peter 1.18, for, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, the cost of Calvary is something that's beyond our comprehension. We can't fathom uh, what it would even uh, cost the Lord and cost Jesus Christ. And the cross, and when, we, when we see that cross, it's a public declaration that God is righteous and His way He has handled the sin question. When I look at that, I don't see an idol. What I see is a reminder. A reminder that God gave everything so that I could be with Him. During the Old Testament era, it looked at maybe God would deal lightly, maybe super, even superficially with sin. Animal sacrifices could not remove sin. And there were times when it seemed like God would just overlook sin altogether. But listen, when we come to Calvary, Calvary reveals that God dealt with the question of sin once and for all. And so it deals with the ruined condition of man, but it also deals with the character of God. Look at verse 26 in the last part. He says, To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. So we see here that God does not overlook sin. Instead, He forces it out into the open where He can deal with it. And, and it's in a way that He deals with it that's, that's uh, consistent with His own righteous character. There are two Old Testament offerings that are a good picture of the transaction which takes place when we accept Christ as our Savior. It's the sin offering and the burnt offering. In the, in the same exact ritual, uh, it, excuse me, in some extent, this ritual looks very similar in both sacrifices. In both cases, the offerer uh, brought his lamb and placed his hands upon it to identify himself with the sacrifice, kind of like it's pictured here by the priest. Uh, but in the burnt offering, uh, what we find, but the, the main difference is what happens. In the sin offering, my vileness is transferred to the substitute. In the burnt offering, all the virtue of the substitute is transferred to me. And so when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said, He hath made Him to be sin for us. That's that receiving of our sin. 
He bore our sins upon the cross, Colossians 2.14. And then he goes on and says that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so we receive Christ's righteousness in our life. You see, God's gift is so that you might be declared righteous. Listen, none of us are right. None of us are holy. None of us are just on our own. But through Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of sins. But it must be by relying on Him alone. Here's the whole caveat in the thing. Like any gift, we could have had these volunteers that came up to open these gifts say, you know what, I like the box, it's beautiful, I, I, like, I like the wrappings, but you know, I don't really want what's in it. You see, we can, we can have someone offer us a gift, but never receive it. You see, this free gift of God casts all upon God, and He gives us the free will to accept or reject. And so we're completely dependent upon Him. So what does that do for us? Well, look in verse 28, 27 and 28. We see, and initially, it removes our pride and our boasting. Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we, for we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Why is this important? Could you imagine if God took us to heaven based upon our works? Man, if God took, took us to heaven based upon our works, and well, you know what we would do? We would have people sit around us and we would recount all the good things that we did while we were in heaven. Well, I helped the poor on this day, and I was good to my wife, and I never, never hurt my children, and I was always there to support them. And we go down through all of our lists of good things, and we would be boasting in who? Myself. Now, let me remind you what happened in heaven in Isaiah chapter 14, in the original sin, the sin of Satan. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, he recounts this and he says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mounts of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You know what the original sin was? Boasting in heaven. You want to know why God doesn't allow us into heaven based upon our works? Because we would boast in heaven. And if we were to boast in heaven, guess what would happen? He would cast us out of heaven. Second thing, verse 29 through 30. It eliminates our pride, but it also eliminates our prejudices. Is He the God of the Jews only? Is He not also of the Gentiles? It is amazing to consider the grace of our God. I don't know that there's one Jew in here today. That means most of us in here would be considered Gentiles. We're not the chosen people. We're not uh, the ones that God chose to be part of uh, His large plan. But if you've accepted Christ, we're in an age of grace where the church, He is using the Gentiles to spread the gospel and the hope of Jesus. But you know what He's saying through all of this? He says, listen, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It's offered freely to all men. Amen. Romans 2.11, For there is no respect of persons with God. He doesn't elevate some people above another, and so he removes this prejudice. And so, as a result, it doesn't matter your skin color, your background, your age. 
Christ opens his arms at Calvary for all men. Finally, he finishes with one last thought. Not only does it remove our pride or presumption, or, or excuse me, our prejudice, but now also our presumption. He says, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. A person who has truly seen the seriousness of his own sin then and the significance of his redemption is not going to presume on the grace of God. He realizes he is saved from sin, not saved to sin. He talks more about this in Romans 6. We'll get to it later. But listen, this gift of God is something that we need. It is a gift. And if we earned it, we worked for it or exchanged something for it, it would no longer be a gift. It would cease to be a gift. And today, it beckons all men to receive it without delay. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, at the very end of the verse, he says, uh, he says, Behold, now is the time accepted. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You remember when you were a kid on Christmas Day? Do you remember how fun that was? I, I remember my, my sisters and I, uh, we, we couldn't wait to open our gifts. Matter of fact, my older sister, I'm going to rat her out a little bit, uh, but next time you see her, you can give her a hard time. But uh, she would wake up before anybody else, and she would go to the tree, and, and there was presents laid out, and she would take the presents she wanted from my pile and my little sister's pile, and she would put it in, in her pile. And the ones she didn't want, she put it in our pile. But listen, she was so excited for Christmas morning and she would come back into the bedroom and she would wake us up. She'd jump on the, uh, on the bed and she'd say, get up, it's time to open presents. And we'd run in there and we'd grab the gifts and we were so excited. Eventually, mom and dad would hear us uh, banging around in there and come out with sleep in their eyes. And we never understood why they were so tired in the mornings. And, and anyways, and so we got in there and we're all excited and we're opening presents. Why? Because we couldn't wait to receive the gifts. Why would you want to hold off on receiving this gift? This is the greatest gift of all time. It's salvation. It's hope. It's security. And it's all in Christ. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And He offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?